You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. We're Sunday Schoolers! Oh, don't you love getting yelled at first thing in the morning? I love it as well. Yeah. Uh, why don't you greet some people around you, ask them their names, and you can also turn to the book of Matthew. But the greeting is important. Make sure you know the, the peeps sitting around you. Don't cut short your greeting, but we are in Matthew chapter 5. You could turn there. Uh, sometimes we project it, but there's like a... The projectors are like smoking and... You hear that noise? Yeah, it's a fan like blowing up or something. Or I don't know. Maybe a goose got sucked into the fan. I don't know. I know how these things work. <laughs> uh, we're at Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Matthew five seventeen, and hopefully, if if you didn't bring a Bible, we have Bibles on the tables. So you could you could grab one, and uh, look at Matthew chapter five, verse seventeen. There, this this passage answers the question. the The question is, did Jesus come to throw out the Old Testament? In other words, did Jesus come to throw out the ways of the Jewish religion? This passage is going to answer that. And I am going to read it. I found this really cool translation. This is probably different than the translation you have. Maybe somebody has it. It's called the Complete Jewish Bible. And so it is the Bible, Old and New Testament. It is a Jewish style and presentation. Uh, like, like, for instance, it, it would not use the word teacher. It would use the word rabbi. rabbi. It would not use uh, the name Jesus. It would use the Jewish pronunciation Yeshua, yeah, very good. Uh, and so it, it uses different pronunciations. Uh, instead of the law, it would use the word Torah. Yeah, somebody said that. Excellent. So this is the complete Jewish Bible, and I'm going to read it, read from it today because today's topic is the Jewishness of Jesus. The Jewishness of Jesus. So look at Matthew 5:17. It says this. It's Jesus talking. So this is going to answer the question: Did Jesus come to throw out the Old Testament? And he says this. Don't think that I've come to abolish the Torah, which is the Old Testament, the law, the, the first five books of the Bible. He says, do not, come, do not think that I've come to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to complete them. Yes, indeed, I tell you that until heaven and earth pass away, not so much as a yod or a stroke of the pen will pass from the Torah. Not, not until everything that must happen has happened. So everyone disobeys, the, uh, so whoever, excuse me, disobeys the least of the mitzvot, which means the commandments and teachings, and others to do so will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys them and so teaches will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So basically it's saying, I did not come to abolish the old ways, but I've come to fulfill them. And then he's going to say something pretty crazy. He's going to, he's, but the basic point of today's message, the Jewishness of Jesus, is kind of like a duh. Yes, Jesus was Jewish, if you knew that already. But the major point is Jesus came to get to the heart of the religion. And listen to this. It says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness is far greater than that of the Torah teachers or the Parashim, that means the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes a bold claim that says, unless you're more religious than the most religious of people of the time, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we all know that it's not possible to be better than the Pharisees that, that have all these laws and keep them. 
Only by Jesus can we be made righteous in God's sight. And so let's pray today. Let's welcome his presence in here. God, we do welcome you in here. We recognize, God, that you are already in here. We recognize that that you are speaking right now to our hearts, to our minds, to our spiritual natures. And so, God, we invite you to do so. We invite you to speak to us. God, we want to see that, that religion is not about religion. It is about a relationship with you. And so today, God, as we, as we understand Jesus and that he was Jewish, he came from a Jewish religion, God, would you help us understand the heart of this Jewish religion? The heart of what you want is a relationship with us. So, God, we love you and we praise you. And all God's people screamed. Amen. Amen. Well, my, mo- my mom and dad say that when I was a kid, I was kind of a weird little kid. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. Most kids, like when they're three years old, they have conversations with their parents like, Mommy, what sound does a cat make? And Mommy says, Meow. And I, Daddy, what sound does a, a cow make? And Daddy says, Moo. Uh, I was asking weird little questions like, Can you see the soul? What is the spirit, Mommy? What happens when we die to the spirit? <laughs> it's just weird little... And my parents had no idea what to do with me, so they took me to Sunday school uh, <laughs> as a kid. And uh, I, was, I was really... I just think, like, my, my, my parents will say that when I was a kid, I was just very interested in, like, just religious, spiritual things, which is maybe just God putting it on my heart. To, I mean, that's what I get to do now. I get to study the Bible and teach Sunday school. It's like my greatest dream come true. Um, but as a kid, I was just extremely fascinated and interested with the spiritual side of things. And I remember in elementary school, uh, first realizing, it may have been like first grade or second grade, maybe, maybe first grade, I realized that there was different religions. And, and like, what's the deal with different religions? I had no idea what uh, Jewish people believed or what Buddhists believed or what Presbyterians believed or Baptists believed. Um, but I just knew it was different. I didn't understand that there could be different religions out there. And I remember a kid in my first grade class, uh, my school class, uh, was telling me about the, the most perfect religion, which he was, which was, a, he was a Baptist, and he was, he was just going on and on about how my religion was wrong because I wasn't a Baptist, and uh, he must have heard a joke somewhere and, like, really internalized it and believed it, but he said, he, he was telling me, yeah, John the Baptist was a Baptist, and John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, so Jesus must have been a Baptist, too, and, and he was just going on and on about how, how great it was to be a Baptist and how other, all other religions religions were wrong, uh, which is just ridiculous, but I mean, just kid way of understanding uh, different religions. And I was just fascinated with different religions. And I remember going to Sunday school at my church and um, I actually had perfect, get this. I mean, I don't like to brag about myself very much, but I'm going to go ahead and do that. I had six years of perfect attendance at Sunday school. And so if you've been coming to Sunday school for a little while, that's good. But I had six years and so, like, every year, is like, Joe had perfect attendance this year. And then, and then year two would roll around, and I'd get, like, this little gift in front of the church, and I'd get, give him my little bow. It was, like, two years of perfect attendance. And it's, like, I th- that was all of my en- elementary school years, six years of perfect attendance. And I had, I had really cool uh, Sunday school teachers. They were always uh, ladies. They were always a little crazy. But uh, I remember... It, 
my, I think my first or second grade teacher was Mrs. Smells. <laughs> that was her name. And then uh, I think my, maybe that was my first grade teacher. My second grade teacher's name was Miss Dorcas. And I remember writing home uh, with my parents after first Sunday school. I was like, oh, tell me about Sunday school. And I was like, the teacher's name is Miss Dorcas. And my dad was like, don't you dare disrespect the teacher. I'm going to pull over this car. What was her name? And I was like, it was Mrs. Dorcas. I was like, that's it. I'm stopping the car. <laughs> My mom's like, honey, I think I think the name really is Mrs. Dorcas. Um, and I remember asking, I remember in that class, uh, in that class, trying to figure out what religion Jesus was in Miss Dorcas' class because my, my friend was telling me that Jesus was a Baptist. And I remember finding out that Jesus was Jewish. And as a kid, that just threw me off like crazy because I'm like, well, we follow Jesus but Jesus was following the Jewish religion. Shouldn't we follow the Jewish religion? I mean, doesn't I mean, as a kid, wouldn't you imagine being extremely confused about that? It was like, well, I want to be Jewish. I remember telling my parents, like, what's it take to be Jewish? I want to be Jewish. <laughs> and they're just like, what? What's wrong with you? Um, and just being very confused and, until I learned that, that Jewishness uh, can mean two things. It can mean a race. Someone could be like, I'm German. Someone could be Jewish, like in race. Or it could also mean a religion. So a German could for instance, convert to Judaism. Even though they're still German, they can convert. So it both means a race and a religion. And so when I found that, I was like, oh, so Jesus was just the race of Judaism, but he was actually a Christian. And, and so I pictured Jesus as this like, white guy with blue eyes and, and, and going to church on Sundays and then sometimes Red Robin after church and getting a bonsai burger. And that was just like my mental image of Jesus. Oh, he was just Jewish as a race. But then I found out that no, he was, he was actually Jewish and religion as well. And that, that just, hopefully today, if you're confused about that too. Today I'm going to describe that and the fact that Jesus was both Jewish in religion and race, but that that has a good message for us and it it means a lot to us today. It means a lot um, as we study Jesus. That's a really important fact about who he was. So today we are talking about the Jewishness of Jesus. Last time we talked about Jesus and history. Uh, The rest of this month, because we do take topics by month, the rest of the month of February, we're talking about the nature of Jesus. So we'll have to bring our theology thinking caps the next two times and really concentrate on Jesus, 100% God and 100% man at the same time. Why in the world do we believe that? How is that possible? How is that mystery possible that we do believe um, in a Jesus that was God and man at the same time? And so uh, today we're going to jump into the Jewishness of Jesus. But before we do so, just a few little announcements. Uh, If you're newish, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. Uh, There's little cards. There's like first-timer cards on the tables, I believe. And if you're newish, you could fill one of those out. And when you leave, give it to the nice people at that little table, and they'll give you a CD just for coming. It's got some uh, a sermon from the mill, which is our Friday night meeting. Which I highly, if you haven't been to the mill on Friday night, uh, you should definitely go to that uh, some some Friday. And, uh, and, and by the way, I would lo- if you're newish, I would love to meet you as well. Just come on up and uh, we'll, we'll chat about Jesus and Jewishness and what we talked about with our parents when we were kids. Um, it'd be fun. Uh, one other announcement. There is a small group that I've announced before. It's called Remade. Anybody go to Remade? Whew. All right. Yeah, Ramil. Yes, Ramil leads it, so he has to go. Um, but it, it meets on Wednesday nights, and it's at 7 o'clock. Is that right, Ramil? He's embarrassed. <laughs> it meets at 7, right? Your group, it meets at 7? Yeah, it meets at 7. Say. So, 
<laughs> but Remade is a small group, and so they do worship. They meet together in a house. It's a small group. But they go over what we go over in the Mill Sunday School. And so this week they'll talk about the Jewishness of Jesus and more time to discuss that, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So just an- announcing the, the small group Remade if you don't have a small group. All right, those are your announcements. Are you ready to get started? All right, these are your notes. Uh, Jesus was Jewish is the first point in your notes. If you were handed one of these, we call it the skillet. I want to begin with, usually I don't begin with discussion, but I think, I, think it's, uh, I think it's good to begin with a discussion if you're ready to put on your talking uh, mouths and uh, maybe, maybe swallow your bites of food, but maybe at your table. And it's a very simple question. The question, I want to word it right. The question is, did Jesus follow the Jewish religion? Why, and if you're like, yes, he did, or no, he really didn't, give examples. And so, did, you, did Jesus follow the Jewish religion? And I, I, honestly, I don't think there's a, there's a yes, he did, or no, he didn't answer, like, to the, to the, I mean, either he kind of did, and he kind of didn't. And so, would you talk about that for just a minute with your groups, and, and, get some, and maybe just get your, get your thinking cap started? So, did Jesus follow the Jewish religion, and then give some examples? And we'll just talk about this for, like, two minutes, so, so be, just jump right in. Ready, get set, go. All right, let's talk about it as, as a big group. And since it's a big group, we have to use microphones. And so the rule is uh, to get the attention of the microphone holder, uh, that guy. Is that, we only have one mic today? Or get the attention of that guy. Or, or Bowman, he's got the other one. And, and get, the mic, get the mic and then say uh, what you have to say to the group about the Jewishness of Jesus. Did Je- Answering the question, did Jesus follow the Jewish religion? Is anyone bold enough to start us off? Yes, excellent. Thank you. Um, I, I think it's, it takes a second. It's weird. That's uh, um, yeah, on. I think it's on. Yeah, it's on. It's on. All right. Uh, the, what I thought of was the very end before Christ died on the cross. He was the last cup in the Passover, which was it's a pretty paramount thing in the Jewish religion. Yeah, and so he celebrated the Jewish feasts, didn't he? Yeah, he did. In fact, if you meet a – do you guys know what a Messianic Jew is? It's a Jewish person uh, or just a person that is very interested in the Jewish ways. And they, uh, they believe in Jesus. They believe in Old and New Testament. But they are very Jewish in their celebration of the religion of Christianity. And so they will celebrate Passover. They'll celebrate uh, the Jewish feasts. And they look very Jewish, but they're Christians. They're completed Jews. They're, a lot of times they're Jewish people that believe that Jesus is the coming Messiah. And so a lot of their roots were Jewish but they believe in Jesus. And so, yeah, but Jesus celebrated the feast. I think, yes, sir, right here, our friend the cadet. Okay, is this on? Yeah, it's on. Close. Okay. Uh, we said that basically Jesus had come to um, fulfill the law, to complete the law. Yeah. So he didn't come necessarily to say, uh, you know, the Jewish way, the Jewish customs are wrong. Uh, he did, however, go against the Pharisees mm-hmm. who basically had just compiled all these human traditions and, um, you know, things that had been passed down that were just uh, traditions, but not necessarily part of the original law. He said, right. I've come to complete the law, uh, but then he didn't really, um, you know, like what the Pharisees were yeah, saying. Yeah, excellent. So. Yeah, excellent point. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about with, at, towards the end of this message about how Jesus came to restore the religion. It's an excellent point. Yes. 
I think, yes, go here. Yes, ma'am. Um, I was actually talking to one of my friends who's Messianic Jewish. Uh-huh. And she said that, um, I haven't actually researched this, but she says that Jesus never disobeyed any of God's laws. Yeah. But he did disobey the Pharisees' laws, which, you know, the things about how to get out of bed. And they made a lot of laws that yeah. that were somehow supposed to be related to God's laws. Right. But he broke Excellent all point. those yeah. Because they weren't God's laws. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, like the whole, you remember if you, if you read the, through the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, you'll know that he had a big problem with the Sabbath and all these rules the Pharisees made on the Sabbath. The idea of the Sabbath is to keep a day holy, to do no work. And Jesus honored that. But at the same time, he healed a man on the Sabbath. And Pharisees said, you can't heal someone on the Sabbath. It's like, who made up that rule? Well, they did. And so he broke their rules, but he didn't break God's rules. Excellent point. Yes, Aaron Higgins. There's a lot of things uh, with the Jewishness of Jesus. Uh-huh. Uh, obviously, he wasn't a Christian. Right. Um, <laughs> Jesus he, wasn't a Christian. Unless he celebrated his birthday. He did not celebrate Christmas or Easter, for that matter. He um, didn't celebrate <clears throat> Christmas or Easter. But that being said, uh, as far as the Jewishness of Jesus goes, he, he was a right. rabbi. Uh, he knew the law. He studied the Torah. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he could he could stand on his own against the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees yeah. and all that. Uh, so while he wasn't Jewish in the the Sadducee sense of being a Jew, very strict and very, you know, overtly religious, yeah. he taught a message that being a Jew was more of a relationship. And then yeah. obviously that morphed into Christianity. Excellent. Excellent point. I'm just thinking of, yeah, Jesus didn't celebrate Christmas. Yeah, that's it's impossible. I mean, he didn't he didn't have a Christmas tree or nothing. He was there though. <laughs> He's there. <laughs> Is there one more? Should we should we go on? We good? Okay. Um, here here's here's just some some facts about Jesus was Jewish. If you want, you could put next to Jesus was Jewish. You could put a period there. Jesus was Jewish. Period. Or Jesus was Jewish. Period. Duh. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, it's no secret that Jesus was Jewish. No one was trying to hide that. His parents, his earthly mother, was Jewish. And so in a very strict way of official sense of, is this person Jewish? Yes, he was Jewish. He came from a Jewish mother. His, his daddy, his earthly daddy, Joseph, uh, raised him and, and had him follow the Torah. They were from, uh, Mary and Joseph, actually both from the line of Judah, which is where we actually get the word Jew. And so it's, it's a shortened version of Judah, that tribe of Judah. Jesus was the, from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of David. He was earthly in, in race. He was Jewish, obviously. Uh, and uh, probably from the time he was a little boy, he, he, was, he followed the Torah. Uh, he never broke the law of God, uh, as, as, as she said. Uh, probably from the time he could speak, his dad taught him to say the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Like every good little Jewish boy does even today. He was a rabbi. He was a carpenter and then began his ministry as a legitimate Jewish teacher, a legitimate Jewish rabbi. And so I just think that sometimes we have this idea that, you know, he was, he was a good Christian guy. He was a blonde haired blue-eyed, uh, nicely trimmed, bearded man that celebrated Christmas and Easter and went to church every Sunday. And none of those things are true. He was a Jewish man, a, a Middle Eastern Jewish man that, uh, that lived around the first century. And so he couldn't have possibly have gone to Red Robin after church. There's, there's no such thing. Um, <laughs> uh, when he died, above, above the cross was a sign. The sign said, said, King of the Jews. And obviously this was Pilate's way of kind of, 
you know, sticking it to the Jews and, 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 and saying, you know, slapping them in the face with this sign that Jesus is the king of the Jews. But that's what he claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah, the, the one predicted in the Old Testament that was coming to save the whole world, Jews and Gentiles. And a Gentile just means non-Jew. And so even the believers, uh, of all the early believers of Jesus were all Christians. Every single book of the Bible is written by a Jewish person. Did you know that? And you might say, well, wait a minute. What about Luke? Luke was written by a Gentile. And that's true. Luke wasn't uh, Jewish in race, but he became a Jew. He was a proselyte. He became Jewish before he became a Christian. And so... Every single book of the Bible written by a Jewish person. In fact, the early church really had a struggle with how Jewish do we need to be in order to be a Christian? Do we, for instance, need to not eat pigs and and be uh, kosher as we eat our foods? Do we need to be circumcised? That was a huge problem in the early church. The question being, how Jewish do we need to be in order to be a Christian? And and Jesus came um, not to just to destroy the Old Testament law, but to fulfill it. Before I talk about that, more of the Jewishness of Jesus, I want to talk about a book that has been uh, really impactful to the Mill staff. The Mill staff, myself, uh, Daniel Grothy, Aaron Stern, Glenn Packiam, uh, Noel Goodland, uh, I think they all are geniuses. They all, probably like the combined total of number of books uh, they read per month is like 100 books. It's ridiculous. Like every single one of them, every, at every staff meeting is talking about a new book they're reading this week. And so, like, I even asked Glenn, I was like, Glenn, how many books do you read in a month? He's like, oh, at least two or more. It's like, how do you find time to do, I mean, just on their, on the mill, I've never met a staff that is more genius than the mill staff. And uh, they're just really smart. They love reading. And, and about last month, we were reading this book uh, and just talking about it at probably every staff meeting. The book is called The Way of Jesus, written by Eugene Peterson. Anybody heard of it? Seen it? Excellent. Uh, and Eugene Peterson is the guy that wrote the message, the translated the Message Bible, which is um, the a very easy to read uh, American version of the Bible. It's very, it's very hip, very cool. And Eugene Peterson wrote that version and has written many books. And one of his books was called The Jesus Way, and it's, it's subtitled A Conversation in the Ways That Jesus Is the Way. And so often I think we we think about okay, what are the words of Jesus? Let's study the words of Jesus, or Let's study what he accomplished, what he did. But so often we forget the ways in which Jesus accomplished what he accomplished. But his, his, one of his famous sayings in John 14 is, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And we often so much, I mean, at least I know I'm guilty of this, concentrating on the truth and what he did and what he accomplished and, and kind of forgetting about the way in which he does things. And so Eugene Peterson, in this book, The Way of Jesus, talks about, it's really a book written to ministers like myself, and I was convicted by some of the ideas in it, that so often in our American culture, we are so um, like need-focused or issue-focused. And so, someone comes to us with an issue or a need, we just want to take that need and, and, and help that need, fix that issue in their life. And so if someone comes and says, oh, I'm struggling in my marriage, you know, I look at my bookshelf, I pull off a book about marriage, hand him a book and say, fix this issue in your life. Or a guy comes to me and says, I'm struggling with pornography. I look at my bookshelf, I find like Every Man's Battle or Sex, Men, and God by Doug Weiss. And I hand him this book. I say, fix this little area of your life. Fix this issue. Get a quick fix. 
uh, fix this one little part of your life. And I don't think Jesus was about quick fixes. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with reading a book or handing someone a book um, about a topic, of, uh, an idea that they're struggling with. But so often I was just convicted that, yeah, so a lot of what I do is just all about the issue and a quick fix. And you know, let's, let's fix this little area of your life and not the holistic get to the heart of the issue. And so if you would, I'm going to read quite a bit from John chapter 4. So if you would, especially because our projectors aren't working, turn to John chapter 4. And this is the, the a famous passage uh, of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And I, I am going to re- continue reading today from the complete Jewish Bible. Um, and so it may, it may sound a little different than what you're used to, but, um, but it's, it's, it's just the Jewish way of pronunciating things and stuff. And so it's uh, John chapter 4. I'm going to start specifically in verse 5. And a lot of you already know this story. If you've come to Sunday school or church for a while, you know that Jesus met a Samaritan woman at the well. And this Samaritan woman uh, was from, that obviously wasn't Jewish. And Jews and Samaritans had uh, some bad blood between them. And so it was, it was wrong for a Jewish person to even speak to a, a Gentile Samaritan at that time. It was just a big no-no. But of course, Jesus is like, she's a woman. She needs my help. I'm going to talk to her. Pretty cool, don't you think? Yeah, Jesus broke rules. Um, But people's rules, not God's rules. And it says this, uh, John chapter 4, verse 5 says, He came to a town in Shamron, which is the Jewish pronunciation of Samaria, called Shechem, near a field of Yaakov, Jewish pronunciation of Jacob. He had given it to Yosef, Jewish pronunciation of Joseph, that's my name, pretty cool. Yosef. Um, uh, and it says, Yaakov's well was there, and so Yeshua, Jesus, pronunciation, exhausted from his travel, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. A woman from Shamron came to draw some water and said, and Yeshua said to her, give me a drink of water. And his disciples had gone to town to buy food, and the woman from Shamron said, how is it that you associate with people from Shamron? And Jesus answered her, if you knew God's gift, that is, who it is that is talking to you, saying, give me a drink of water, then you would have asked me for a drink of water, and I would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep, so where are you going to get this living water? You, are you greater than our father, Yaakov? He gave us this well and drank from it, and so did his sons and cattle. Yeshua answered, everyone who drinks this well will get thirsty again. Jesus is talking about the actual water. But then he says, but whoever drinks the water I give him, a spiritual water, obviously, will never be thirsty again. On the contrary, the water I give him will become a spring of water living inside of him, welling up to eternal life. And she says, sir, give me this water. The woman said to him, so that I won't have to be thirsty again. Oh, excuse me, I'm reading like a third grader. Uh, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't have to be thirsty again and draw water. And he said to her, go call your husband and come back. And here's the issue. Here's the root of the problem. She answered, I do not have a husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands in the past, and you're not married to the man you're now living with. You've spoken truth. Do you see the story? Do you see this woman, this Samaritan woman uh, that doesn't think very highly of herself, that has had five husbands? Everybody say, what? (laughs) That's a lot of husbands, don't you think? 
Yeah, I would say so. I mean, how old is how old could she possibly be to have? I don't know. So she's had five husbands. That's a lot of husbands, and now she's living with someone, living with a man who is not her husband. Now, what's so cool about this is that Jesus doesn't just concentrate on this husband issue. I mean, if 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 I was talking to a woman, I found out she was she was living with a man that wasn't her husband. She had been married five times before. I'd probably go to my shelf and hand her a marriage book and say, "Fix this issue in your life. You're crazy." Uh, <laughs> and that would be the wrong way, obviously, to go about it. But Jesus, being God, knows everything, right? Jesus, being God, he knows everything. He is able to quickly get to the heart of the issue. He knows that this woman's heart is all about trying to fulfill her life in having lots of husbands and, and fulfilling her life in a relationship with a man. And so Jesus' whole conversation with this woman is not addressing this issue. Instead, Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. Jesus gets to the foundation of the issue, which is not about her wanting lots of husbands, not about her fulfilling herself in her life with a man, but it's about her filling herself up with Jesus Christ, the living water that needs to be living inside of her, and she'll never go thirsty again. And so in the way in which Jesus does ministry, I think it's much less about handing someone a book and saying, fix this little area of your, of your life. But I think ministry and Jesus' way of doing ministry is, is maybe more about like having a meal with someone and getting to the heart of the issue. Why is it that you've had five, five marriages that, that have failed? Why is it, maybe, if I'm talking to a guy, why is it? What's the deeper issue of why you're struggling with pornography? Is there something else here? Is there more to it? Let's, let's not just fix this little issue of your life, but let's holistically approach the foundation of what's going on in your life. And I think that is the Jesus way. And I hope not to... So we're talking about the Jewishness of Jesus, and I interject this whole conversation about the way of Jesus to get to the bigger idea, which is Jesus came not to give us more rules or laws, but to get to the heart, to get to the foundation of what we believe, to get to the heart, the foundation that, that we, in fact, need a relationship with God, not to just fix issues in our life. Do you see that? See the bigger point? Okay, we're, we're now at, uh, so we've talked about the way of Jesus. In your notes, we're at the restoration of a religion. And I think God's original plan, if we look at, uh, if we look at the Bible and, and turn, uh, you know, if you, if you turned back to Genesis and started reading the story of Genesis, uh, it's about God creating man and woman and God having a relationship with them. It talks about how, how God came to them in the cool of the night, and they just had a conversation. There wasn't a religion back then. Think about that. There wasn't like a church back then. Uh, there wasn't before the, the fall of humanity. It was just God and his people. No reason for a religion. God was there. And in fact, in heaven, in Revelation twenty one twenty two, it specifically says that in heaven there will be no temple. There will be no church. You know why? Because God's going to be there. If God's sitting here, why would you go over there to like a building and, and play church if God's here, right? So think about that. So the whole intent of, of God and his religion with his people is really a relationship. It's not religion. It's relationship. And so as we, as we think about getting to the heart of what Jesus said, I think someone in here, as we discussed, we talked about the Pharisees and creating laws and rules for people. And Jesus said... No, it's not about laws. We don't fulfill laws. We don't do good things in order to impress God. But God is more concerned with a holistic relationship with him. We can't Facebook God and look at God's profile and say, oh, I know God and look at all God's uh, profile pictures. But what God wants, right, is a relationship with him. 
God God doesn't care about knowing facts about him. God doesn't care about doing a bunch of good things for the purpose of doing good things. Those things are obviously good. They're good things. But at the same time, God is much more concerned with a relationship with him and through his son. And so I want to look at another passage. I know you've been flipping around a lot, but bear with me. Flip one more time to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to start right in verse 1. And what, what, what I find this passage so amazing about, if I could just kind of preface it, is that Jesus, it's going, to, it's going to be a passage about Jesus being the high priest. And the Jewish way, the old Jewish way uh, of doing things, of, of attaining atonement, is by animal sacrifice. You would bring a lamb or a ram or a dove or uh, there was other, a grain offering to the priest, and the priest would either burn it or if it was an animal, he would kill it. Can you imagine, if you, if you made a mistake in life, you sinned, your, your reaction in the Old Testament way, the Jewish way of doing things, was to go get your best lamb, the lamb that cost you the most amount of money, the most perfect lamb, and bring this lamb to the high priest, and then potentially watch this high priest kill this animal for the forgiveness, for the atonement of your sins. That's what the Old Testament is about. That's how atonement kind of happened in the Old Testament. In fact, I find it very just interesting that... Uh, has anyone been to Israel, to Jerusalem? Is, is there a Jewish temple in Israel? No, it's not there. In fact, on the area, on the land in which there's supposed to be a temple, where God said to build the temple, there is a Muslim, oh, is the Dome of the Rock is there, right? Yeah, and so there, there is no temple. In fact, here's what I find interesting, that the exact same century that Jesus came is the exact same century in which the Jewish temple was destroyed. And so t- today's like, you know, 2009. Uh, the Jewish people have not had a temple in since, since the time of Jesus. I find that a little fascinating that, that the temple was destroyed at the same time Jesus lived. And, and they, so they no longer have a temple. They can no longer say, yeah, I've made a mistake. I need to bring a goat to the temple and watch it be killed for the atonement of their, my sin. But instead, like we would say, that, that's the reason why Jesus came, right? And so here's this passage. I, I just shut my Bible, so I need to re... I got excited and shut it on accident. Apologize. I like to talk with my hands. You should hate it when everybody's looking at you. You're trying to find a Bible passage. You're like, dang it, it's supposed to be a pastor. And we're supposed to know where this stuff is. There it is. Uh... Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. So this is about the high priest. And this is about Jesus being that high priest. So you know what the high priest is, right? The high priest is the one that kills the animal for the atonement of your sin. And listen to this. And of course, this is still from the complete Jewish Bible. So it may be a little different than your Bible. It says, for the Torah, which means the law, the law, the Old Testament, has in it a shadow of the good things to come, but not the actual manifestations of the originals. Therefore, it can never by means of the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, bring the goal those who approach the holy place to offer them. A.K.A. what that means is that the year after year, day after day, animals are being killed for the forgiveness of sins. But they couldn't possibly take away all the sins of the world because you keep doing them year after year, day after day. Verse 2 says, Otherwise, wouldn't the sacrifices, wouldn't the offerings, excuse me, of those sacrifices have ceased? For if the people performing the services had been clean once and for all, they would no longer have any sins on their consciousness. So you see it? So if a goat being killed for the forgiveness of your sins could wipe away all of your sins for all time, you wouldn't need to go back ever again and kill another goat, right? 
That's the Old Testament way of thinking. And so verse 3 says, no, it is quite on the contrary. And those sacrifices, those sacrifices are a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. This is why on the coming of the world, he says, and I'm about to read a quotation from the Old Testament, quotation from Psalms. But did you see this point that the Hebrews author is making a point? And you know who the Hebrews are, right? Yeah, they're the Jewish people. And so whoever's writing this letter, a lot of people think it's Paul. Paul's writing to the Jewish people saying that the blood of bulls and rams never took away sins. If they actually took away sins, you'd, you would have stopped doing it because it would have taken away your sins. But Jesus has come to this earth and he quotes an Old Testament passage about the coming of Jesus. Thousands of years before Jesus came, it was written about Jesus in Psalm 40. You could go to look and see that this passage comes out of Psalm 40. And it says this, It has not been your will, will to have an animal sacrifice or a meal offering. Rather, you have prepared me a body. No, you have not been pleased with burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, look, in the scroll of the book, it is written about me. I have come to do your will. And so here we have this, this Christ. And Christ means Messiah. Christ means the anointed one. Christ means uh, the Messiah is the one that was supposed to come and save and redeem the Jewish people. We as Christians obviously believe that the whole Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came as that Old Testament sacrifice to sacrifice for sins once and for all so that we can have life. And so that passage that we read to, to this morning out of Matthew and kind of answer the question, did Jesus come to throw the Old Testament in the trash and put away all those old ways? No, absolutely not. He came to fulfill them. He came to get to the foundation. He came to get to the heart of all the Old Testament teachings, all the Old Testament ways of bringing a lamb to a temple to be killed. That was supposed to remind you of your sin. So you go straight to God and ask for God's forgiveness. And instead, as, as the New Testament time came around, God sent himself down. God sent his son down. Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus was, in fact, the son of God being in the very nature God and the very nature of human being at the same time, came to this earth as that ultimate lamb to be sacrificed once and for all, for all the sins of the entire world. And so I used to, um, uh, I, I, has anyone ever been to a Jewish synagogue? It's kind of cool. I, I used to, um, back when I lived in uh, Utah, I lived in Ogden, Utah, and I had a really good friend that was a little bit older than me, kind of a mentor that uh, was really interested in learning Hebrew. Have you, have you ever had a friend that was like so interested in something that that was just like contagious and you couldn't help but to become interested in that? I mean, so some people just, you just have friends that are like so interested in something. It's like, oh yeah, let's all go do that because we all love that. But it's really not all of you that love that. It's really just him. But you find yourself loving it because they have so much passion for it. But I found myself uh, just really respecting this this guy who's a little bit older than me, a mentor, definitely a mentor in my, that time of my life. And he was just so fascinated and interested with learning Hebrew. And the only place that he could learn Hebrew that he found was uh, a temple, a, a synagogue, excuse me, in Salt Lake City. So we drive every Saturday about an hour and a half to go to this Jewish synagogue and sit in this class uh, of about 10 other people and listen to this lady, this teacher, a rabbi, 
teach us Hebrew. And it was so fascinating because, first of all, I was just blown away about how nice everybody was. And I was blown away with how curious they were as to why in the world we would be at the synagogue learning Hebrew. And they're like, aren't you Christians? Don't you believe in the New Testament? Why in the world are you here learning Hebrew? And so we'd explain. We'd say, well, we believe in the Old Testament. And they're like, you do? That's so weird. Why do you believe in the Old Testament? I thought we believed in the Old Testament. And we were like, yeah, well, we believe in the Old Testament that it was fulfilled in Jesus. And they were like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and so just we just learn Hebrew. And uh, I remember learning how to say, my name is Joe. Are you ready? Ani Rose Yosef. My name is Yosef. Joe uh, is how I would say it. Uh, <laughs> how I prefer you to say it. Uh, anyways. <laughs> So I remember uh, what's so interesting is that in this Jewish synagogue, I remember after every class, like literally every class, it was it was more exciting for my friend Jimmy, that's my mentor, to, to, to it was exciting for him to learn Hebrew and it was exciting to learn Hebrew. But what we got most excited about was staying after class and talking to this lady, this the Jewish rabbi uh, that was teaching us Hebrew and, and kind of just witnessing to her because she was legitimately amazed that we were in this class because we believed in the Old Testament and wanted to learn more of the Old Testament through the original language language that it was written in Hebrew. And so we would, Jimmy, I would, I would just kind of listen, sit and listen, but Jimmy would use the Old Testament. Never ever would he quote the New Testament because they don't believe in the New Testament, right? So it's like like if a Muslim is trying to witness to you and tell, saying, oh, in the Quran it says this. And you're like, so what? I don't believe in the Quran. So in the same way, Jimmy would never ever use the, the New Testament. He would just always use the Old Testament. And he'd say, well, you believe in the book of Isaiah, right? And they're like, yeah. And he'd turn to a passage. And you could, if you want to do a study on this later, you certainly can. Uh, and he would show them a passage that says the coming Messiah is going to be born in the city of Bethlehem. And so you could, oh, I didn't know that. The, that the coming Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem? Wow, that's fascinating. You're like, well, the coming Messiah is supposed to be from the line of Judah, from the line of David. And Jesus happens to fulfill those, both of those prophecies. And you can show them another passage, also in the book of Isaiah, actually. It says, uh, the coming Messiah will be born of a virgin. You're like, whoa, that's kind of weird. But Jesus had that claim. Jesus is claiming to be born from a virgin, born in Bethlehem, born uh, uh, from the line of David, a good, a good Jewish boy. And, and so you're showing them, showing this, Jimmy would show this lady all these prophecies and about the coming Messiah, about the coming servant that was going to save and redeem uh, the world. And this lady was just fascinated by that and fascinated by the idea that, that Jesus was the coming Messiah. And of course she had heard that before. She was the rabbi, the teacher, and she knew enough uh, about the Christian religion to know that, uh, you know, we did believe that the coming Messiah was Jesus. But she said, oh, it's not the Jewish Messiah. She believed, oh, it's a Christian Messiah. But this idea to her was, was new that, no, they're one and the same. To us, we believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And for her, the big hang-up was this idea that the coming Messiah had to be a king. That, and there are passages in the Old Testament that the coming Messiah is supposed to be a king. So in her mind, she really believed that, okay, the coming Messiah will be a king that will legitimately be a king in Israel as it stands today. And they, they'll get all their land back and all of Israel, uh, the Palestinians will be kicked out. And, it, and to her mind, that's what she believed. The coming Messiah will give us back our land and we will once again have a temple. And there will be no Palestinian war in, on our land. We will have all of the land to back to Israel. And so in her mind... The coming Messiah has to do all that stuff. And we would just continuously try to get to a point that, no, what Jesus came to do is, is something much more foundational, much more a, a restoration of a religion, much more a restoration of a relationship between humans and God. That Jesus was the coming king, but it was a spiritual kingdom that Jesus was talking about. Jesus was the coming king, 
But his kingdom was from heaven. And not necessarily restoring Israel and and ending the Palestinian war. That that was all in, in in her interpretation of it. But we just so often try to get to the point that Jesus came to restore God to his people. And so as as I close, I want to read from Isaiah. Isaiah 53. And this is one of the, um, in my Bible, uh, my other Bible actually, I, I like to underline and highlight in green in the Old Testament if, if the passage is about the coming Messiah. I love highlighting and underlining in my Bible. I'm a big fan of that. And so I, a long time ago, I went through and found every messianic prophecy that I could find and either highlighted or underlined them in green. And so in my Bible, like the, almost this whole chapter of Isaiah 53 is underlined in green because it's all about the coming Messiah. And so this is, if I can just remind you what the book of Isaiah is, Isaiah was written uh, uh, 500, 600 years before the coming of Jesus Christ, about the coming of the Messiah. And listen to how closely we believe that Jesus fulfills this prophecy, that Jesus came not to throw out the book of Isaiah, but to fulfill the book of Isaiah. So I'm looking at Isaiah 53. I'm going to start in verse 4. And I am reading once again from the complete Jewish Bible. And it says this, In fact, it was our diseases he bore, our pain from which he suffered, yet we regarded him as punished. Stricken and afflicted by God, but he was wounded because of our crimes, crushed because of our sins. And discipling that makes us whole fell on him, and by his bruises we are healed. We are like sheep, we went astray, we turned each one to his own way. Yet Adonai laid on him the guilt of us all. Through, through being mistreated, he was submissive. He did not open his mouth. Yet like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. Like a sheep before its shears is silent. He did not open his mouth. After a forcible arrest and sentencing, he was taken away. And none of his generation protested his being cut off from the land of the living for the crimes of my people. Who deserved the punishment themselves? He was given a grave among the wicked. In his death, he was a rich man. Let's pray. God, we... Honestly, God, we are amazed that, that this prophecy was written hundreds of years before you came and that, that, that you coming to this earth was absolutely no surprise, that it was a fulfillment of the entire relationship between us and you. God, as we, as we love, as we study the Old Testament, would you show yourself to us clearly? Would you show us through yourself that, that you are a, a Jewish person in race and religion, but you did not come to destroy this old Jewish religion. You came to fulfill it. You came to restore it. And so, God, we praise you. We praise you for this beautiful story of the Old Testament to the New Testament. We praise you for the beautiful story in our own lives, God, that you can restore us back to you. That foundationally, you can restore our hearts, and we can have a a, a true relationship with you because you've taken away the sins of the world. And once and for all, that we can come to you as pure because, because you were pure and you died for our sins. It said like a sheep being led to the slaughter. God, we praise you for that. We praise you for the gift of eternal life. God, we leave here rejoicing and praising you because you are our God and we are your people. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.